You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, Blazers fans, to the Blazer Focus Podcast, brought to you by Bymart and Fred Meyer. I am Aaron Fentress, and man, the final stretch is here, and it is set up amazingly well for the Blazers. There's going to be some high drama these next few games. The Blazers play at Utah Wednesday night, at Phoenix Thursday night, close the regular season Sunday at home against Denver, and there is a lot on the line. The Blazers headed into Tuesday night in sixth place. They were a half a game back of Dallas in fifth and one and a half games ahead of the Lakers who were in seventh. By the end of Tuesday night, the Blazers were tied with Dallas after the Mavericks got thumped by the Grizzlies, but the Lakers defeated the Knicks to move to within one game of Portland. All three teams have three games remaining. Because the Blazers own the tiebreaker against both the Lakers and Dallas, they're sitting in pretty good shape because all they have to do is finish tied with either team and they finish ahead of them. Now, the downside is that Dallas has a much easier schedule the rest of the way. Dallas plays New Orleans, then Toronto, then Minnesota. All three teams are out of the playoff race. All three teams obviously are losing teams this season. Dallas will be favored in all three games. So the Blazers are going to have to match Dallas win for win the rest of the way in order to finish fifth. It's possible. I mean, the Mavericks just lost 133 to 104 on the road at the Grizzlies. Of course, the Grizzlies are in the play-in round. They're much better than the Pelicans and the Raptors and the T-Wolves, but still, Dallas got thumped. So it's possible that Dallas could drop a game or two. All the Blazers need to do is win out, and they'll be in fifth. Now, as far as the Lakers go, they still have games remaining against Houston, the worst team in the league. They're at Indiana, which is still in the the play-in round, and then they're at the Pelicans, who I just said, losing team out of the playoff race. So it's very conceivable, especially if LeBron returns anytime soon, that the Lakers could win all three games. That, of course, would mean that the Blazers would only have to win two because they should, they, have, they hold the tiebreaker. They would only have to win two games to remain tied, at least, with the Lakers because they lead by one game. So if the Lakers win all three and the Blazers just win one of their final three, then the Lakers would finish sixth and the Blazers would fall to seventh. So that's the situation heading into Wednesday night. So the big question is, do the Blazers have enough in them to win two or three of these final three games against three elite teams? Now, keep in mind, the Blazers this season against Phoenix 0-2, Denver 0-2, and Utah 0-2. Also, if the Blazers would have finished sixth as of right now in the first round, they would play uh, the third place Los Angeles Clippers. And the Blazers are 0-3 against the Clippers. So (laughs) right now, as it stands... Their final three opponents plus their probable 
playoff opponent the Blazers have yet to defeat this season. So that doesn't sound very good at all. It doesn't look very good on paper. However, the Blazers have been playing really, really well as of late. The question is, are they playing well enough to believe that they're able to compete with the upper echelon teams in the Western Conference? Clearly, the Blazers have been playing great basketball as of late. After losing five straight, they went on to win eight of their last nine, and they've looked very good doing it. They've had five games by uh, five victories by 19 points or more. Uh, their defense has been off the charts. As a matter of fact, the Blazers' defense ranks 29th on the season, but over this eight and one stretch, the Blazers' defense ranked eighth with a 110.2 rating compared to 116.6 for the season. That's a huge improvement. Also, the offense ranks first during that stretch at 124.9, which is just an absurd number. And then the net rating is also first at 14.6. They've averaged 127.2 points per game, again, an absurd number, while giving up 112. So based on going 8-1, and one, based on those ratings, they look like not only a team that could easily win two or three of the next three games, but heck, why can't they go to the NBA Finals? If you had net ratings like that the entire season, you would be a Finals contender. There's absolutely no doubt about that. However, there's a caveat to all this. <laughs> and leave it to me, of course, to bring it up. So the collective winning percentage of the teams they faced heading into Tuesday night was 474, which is not awful, but you know it's still under 500. Now, three of the teams they defeated were minus All-Stars. Indiana did not have Sabonis. Brooklyn did not have Kevin Durant or James Harden, two former MVPs. And the Lakers did not have LeBron. Those are meaningful things to me because you're not really beating the Nets. You're beating a team that wouldn't make the playoffs. You beat the Lakers, yeah, and the Lakers would still be good without LeBron, but they wouldn't be a dominant team without LeBron, which they're clearly not. And then, of course, Sabonis is by far Indiana's best player. So if you take those three away from the equation, then the rest of the teams they've defeated have a winning percentage of 0.437. So it wasn't a great group of teams they defeated while going 8-1. and one. It, just, it just simply wasn't. It doesn't mean that the Blazers didn't earn the win. It doesn't mean they weren't playing well. They were playing well. I just gave you their ratings. Their ratings are insane. But they played a lot of losing teams, and they played good teams that were minus major stars. So that doesn't tell me that, oh, they're going to turn around now and beat Utah, and they're going to beat the Suns, and they're going to beat the Denver Nuggets when those three teams entered Tuesday with a combined winning percentage of 695. (laughs) So it's clearly a different animal that they're going to face these next three outings compared to what they've been playing. That all said, the Blazers feel really good about where they are, and they should. They've been playing very good basketball. Norman Powell has finally acclimated himself to the system. They've gotten used to him. Yusuf Nurkic is off the minutes restriction, and he's been playing amazing basketball on both sides of the court, thus proving that a lot of their defensive issues for much of the season uh, were based mainly on the fact that he was out. And so now he's back, and he's giving you that anchor down low, that rim protector that other people can feed off of. And that clearly has helped the defense tremendously. But will that stand up against much better teams? Now, here's something else that must be pointed out, is that they're playing Utah on Tuesday. But guess what? Utah is going to be minus Donovan Mitchell, who's been out for some time now, and Michael Conley Jr. So your best two guards for Utah are out. Now, that said, Utah has played pretty well with those guys out. The Jazz are, 
eight and five since Mitchell went down on April 16th, and they are six and two since Conley went down with a hamstring injury on April 26th. Mitchell's injury was a right ankle sprain. So with both of them out, they've been six and two. One of the reasons is that they still play amazing defense. They are third in the season in defensive rating at 109.1. And also they bomb threes. And although they lost two good shooters in Conley and Donovan Mitchell, they still have a boatload of guys who can hit the three. And they rank fourth in the NBA in three-point shooting percentage at 39%. When they last played the Blazers, they held Portland to 39.6% shooting, and the Blazers made just 13 of 48 threes, 27.2%, while Lillard and McCullum combined to go 6 of 22 on threes. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of funny to me that you know, when, I, when I look at the fact that Mitchell and Colling are out, you think, oh, Blazers have a great chance to win. But Las Vegas says, nah, they, they installed the Jazz as a 4.5-point favorite without two of their best players. That tells you a lot about what people in Vegas, at least, think about the Jazz's defense, think about the Jazz's ability to still score and win without those two, and maybe what they think about what Portland has done, given all the things I just mentioned. And I know sometimes people get irritated when you qualify wins, but hey, I do it the other way as well. When the Blazers were losing games without Nurkic and CJ, you could always say, one could always say, I said numerous times, hey, they don't have two of their best three players. You know, there still were issues. They still were playing horribly on defense. They could have played better defense even without Nurkic than maybe they did. Clearly, they're better with him. But the bottom line is they didn't have him. Offensively, they were still good offensively, but there's no way they were as good offensively as they could have been had they had McCollum. So those things matter. When teams in the NBA lose one, two, or three stars, that impacts your lineup because you only start five guys. This isn't like football, right? So the fact that Utah is still a favorite in this game tells me that Vegas believes that a lot of what the Blazers did during that 8-1 and one run was accomplished in part because they played bad teams and because they played teams that were minus major stars like LeBron, Harden, Durant, Sabonis. Okay, And now they're going to play a team without Mitchell and Conley, and yet Vegas still thinks the Blazers should be underdogs, which to me is pretty fascinating. But it's going to be a tough game. There's no doubt about that. And then you have Phoenix coming up on Thursday. One more quick point on Utah. They've been getting great guard play from Jordan Clarkson, who has started here and there and still has been coming off the bench, even though Conley and Mitchell have been out because he gives them so much firepower off the bench. He scored 41 in a loss Monday to Golden State. He had 21 points and eight assists in a recent win over Denver, and he scored 30 in a recent victory over the Spurs. So he's going to be able to come in there when when he's on the court and be the guard you know, who's going to get to take as many shots as he wants to because of Mitchell and Conley are out. And he is a very, very dangerous scorer. One thing that's very interesting about these next two games is that the two Blazers opponents are in a battle for the best record in the West. At Heading into Wednesday, the Jazz lead the Suns by two games. And the Suns hold the tiebreaker. They won all three games this season against the Jazz. The Suns have the tougher remaining schedule They host the Blazers on Thursday and then close with two games at San Antonio. The Jazz have Portland and then they close at Oklahoma City and at Sacramento. So if the Jazz are in a situation where they have to win those two games, they're going to go out and win those two games. You can almost guarantee it. So the Suns, two games back, really, really, really want to see (laughs) the Blazers win on Wednesday night. Because if they do and the Suns win their game, 
then now it's a one-game lead with two games to go. And if you're the Suns, you're hoping to beat Portland and then hope an upset happens with Sacramento or Oklahoma City against the Jazz, and then you have a shot to tie the Jazz or finish a game ahead of them. Uh, if, you, if you tie, then you get the best record. So the Suns definitely want the Blazers to beat the Jazz. Now, if the you know what's funny is if the Blazers lost to the Jazz, right, and the Suns were to lose their game, then the Suns would be out of it. They would be three games back with two to go, and then that would make the Suns game easier for the Blazers, right? So if you if you win, the Suns game is going to be on. If you lose, the Suns may back off. So I believe that Blazers are going to get one of these next two games because of that. It's just my theory. Now, then you move on to the Denver game. Denver is the fourth seed right now. They're chasing the Clippers. So there could be a situation on the last day of the year of the season where Denver needs to win that game to have a chance at third place. If that happens, then of course, it's going to be a a street fight. If not, if you get to that point and Denver already has number four locked up, then Denver's going to chill. Like they're going to rest their best players and they're pretty much going to throw the game to the, uh, the Blazers. Right now, it doesn't look very good for Denver in terms of catching the Clippers because the Clippers have a one game lead and they close with Charlotte, Houston, and Oklahoma City. It's going to be it's very hard for me to imagine them losing more than one of those just on a fluke. So, they have a very good shot of walking out of this thing with the third seed. Also on the season, Denver does hold the tiebreaker as I just looked up. Uh so Denver has to just tie them, but I don't I don't see the Clippers allowing that to happen. So, there's a good chance that Denver has nothing to play for on Sunday. Regardless of how the Blazers finish the regular season, the best case scenario for them, to me, is to not play the Clippers in the first round. I just think that's a horrible matchup, given their length, the fact they do play defense. They shoot the three extremely well. I think they're leading the league, actually, in three-point shooting. But the combination of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, that's you know, and then Morris, that's just a tough matchup for the Blazers, given their three-guard lineup. I think the Blazers would have a much better chance against a Phoenix, but you know, if Phoenix finishes second, you would have to finish seventh to play them. That means you'd have to be in the playing round. In some respects, though, if they were to get in the playing round at seven, beat Golden State, finish seventh, play Phoenix, I think they'd have a better shot of winning that series than they would finishing sixth and playing the Clippers. But no one wants to play in the playing round, of course, because you could lose two games and then boom, you're out. So I'm not suggesting that's what they should want to do. What would be ideal is to finish fifth and hope Denver stays fourth because Denver without Jamal Murray, to me, is a much better matchup than a fully healthy Clippers team. So if you can get fifth and play number four Denver, you win that series, then I think you have a puncher's chance against, say, Utah in the second round, just because even though they're, they've played better basketball all season, I think with a healthy Nurkic, you have, and within the fact that they don't have a ton of length, they start two smallest guards, that you have a better matchup in that round than you would with the Clippers or say a healthy Lakers team, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, if I'm the Blazers, I really want that fifth spot. I really want Denver in the first round. I do not want to play the Clippers in the first round at all. They have a shot to get fifth. If they don't, they're going to be sixth. And then they play the Clippers and then it could be, it could be over pretty quickly. So we'll see what happens, but it's going to be fascinating. These final three games, no doubt. I, I, I've been waiting for this for a while because I knew this was going to be that stretch that really either destroyed the Blazers or they were able to get through it and set themselves up perfectly. As it turned out, after winning eight and nine, they're in position to really give themselves a boost heading into the playoffs. 
But they're also, you know, they could lose all three. And if they do and they finish seventh, then you got to battle to get back in. But as I just said, the silver lining could be that if you do get in, at, get in at seven, you avoid the Clippers in the first round more than likely. So anyway, we will see how this plays out. I am going to be back with another podcast on Thursday to recap what happened Wednesday night at Utah. Thanks for listening to the Blazer Focus podcast brought to you by Bymart and Fred Meyer.